0: to learn a brand new language. Let's say that you're going to go to another distant place in, in some other part of the world and you knew nothing about the language at all, but you're going to need to be fluent in that language to carry on business, to live there. How long would it take you? Would you agree it would take probably more than three or four or five lessons? It's going to require an extensive amount of studying that language, understanding sentence structure and vocabulary and grammar. And then more than likely, before you're really fluent in the language, you have to have some immersion in the language to get you adjusted to it. There are all, there's a great intensive process in learning a new language. When it comes to God, part of our challenge as growing believers in Christ is that we have to learn a new language. We have to learn as believers the language of heaven, the language of God, because God has a different language from you and me. God speaks differently. He speaks in a way that we have to learn about, grow into. It's a language that we must study. We must become acquainted with. We must learn the language of heaven, the language that pleases God, and the language that literally brings heaven to our earth. Because your words can bring in, usher in heaven, or your words can create a whole lot of hell. It's just a matter of your choice, what you say. So we want to learn the language of heaven. And the language of heaven is a language that agrees with God, agrees with God's perspective, God's will, God's word. It's an agreement with him. And you can't really walk effectively with God without learning to agree with him. Amos 3, 3, the prophet says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You cannot walk with God well until you learn to agree with him. And that includes learning to agree with God in terms of your words, how you fashion your language. Are you speaking God speak? Are you talking the language of heaven? Are you learning that language? Now, there's no other area of your life where it's, I think, perhaps more challenging to learn the language of God than when it comes to dealing with problems in your life. Most of us can can speak pretty pretty good language, pretty good God language when it comes to times of blessing. When you're blessed and you're on the top of the mountain, it's easy to praise God, isn't it? When everything's going well in your life, you can say, God, thank you for this and what a blessing this is in my life. And it's easy to to praise and thank God when you're at the top of your mountain and things are going well, but, but your language really does get tested when you're in the valley. The question becomes, can you praise God in the valley as well as you can praise Him on the mountaintop? Can you honor God with your words when you're at the lowest place of your life as well as when you're at the highest places of your life? Can you use the language of heaven in the midst of your valley? And I will tell you this, if you learn the language of heaven in your valley, it will help you motivate through and navigate through your valley a lot faster. There are a lot of people who stay in the valley because they haven't learned how to speak God language in their valley. And so they end up remaining in a place of depression, discouragement in life because they haven't learned the language of God, the language of heaven. And so I want to talk to us again today about how you and I can learn the language of God, especially when it comes to problem areas how you speak to your problems matters. And that's the key point for today. How you speak to your problems matters. How you speak in the midst of a problem is extremely important. What you say about your problems, what you say to your problems, and how you speak to your problems all matters. How you say things is very important. I can say something like this, I love you. Or I can say, I love you. Same three words, correct? no difference in the three words. I love you means I'm telling you this because you want me to tell it to you. I don't really want to tell you, but okay, I love you. I love you says I'm freely communicating to you my care and concern. Same words, but the tone is different. It's how you say it. And it's not just a matter of what you say in the midst of your problems. It's also how you say what you say. And Jesus helps us to understand this in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. Listen to his words. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. We'll come back to that in a moment. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, mountain represents your problems, your difficulties. Whoever says to this mountain, now he describes how we are to speak to our mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So Jesus said there's a particular way you need to talk to your mountain. And I'm going to share with you three different ingredients to speaking to your problems with God language. How do you do this? And three things that are vital to be able to effectively address problems. And the first thing that you have to do is learn to speak to that problem with wisdom and knowledge. You need to know what to say to your problems because you can't speak to your problems well and difficulties in your life well until you know what to say to them. And to know what to say to your problem, you need to know what God says about your problem. Whatever your problem is in your life right now, you need to know what God thinks about that problem and what God says about it so that you'll say the right thing. You'll say what God says about your problem area, and that comes from the knowledge of God's Word from the pages of the Bible. You need truth in your life because only truth will set you free. There are a lot of places in Scripture where we see examples of Jesus addressing problems, And there's one classic example of this in Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. And I want you to see what Jesus did when he was addressing a particular problem in his life that he encountered. The Scripture says in verse number one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Would you agree that's a problem, right? You're about to go through a major temptation. So he's led into the wilderness, Jesus was, to be tempted by the devil himself. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So there's another problem. Jesus is in a stressful problem situation here, okay? Would all of you agree with that, right? He's being tempted by the devil, and he's been fasting for 40 days, and he's really, really hungry. And so he's in a problem situation. Things aren't going well right now for Jesus. What happens now next? Verse 3 tells us the tempter, that's the devil himself, came to him, to Jesus, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that was a temptation. The first of three temptations we'll see in this passage. So here's Jesus, hasn't eaten anything for 40 days, and the devil comes along and he says, you know what, if you're hungry, you see that stone over there, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn that stone into bread? You can do that, right? He was testing Jesus would not be the right response for Jesus to do so, but he was testing him. And let's see what Jesus does in verse number four. Jesus answered. So he's going to say something. It is written, those words, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't forget that. When, when the devil tempted him, that problem situation, he goes to the Bible and says, it is written. Let's go to the next verse. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the second temptation was to try to somehow get Jesus again to prove Himself that He was who He said He was. Jesus answered, so again, His words, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the third temptation. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, listen to his words, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. What phrase do you see repeated three times with every temptation that Jesus encounters? Jesus responds with, it is written, it is written, it is written. Say it with me. It is written, it is written, it is written. What is he referring to? He's referring to the wisdom and knowledge of Scripture. Jesus knew his Bible. He knew what to say when a problem came his way. He used the sword of the Spirit. He knew exactly how to address his problem. You cannot conquer your problems with your words. Your words are powerless, but God's Word is strong and powerful. You need to know what God says about your problems. Because your word doesn't matter. The word of somebody else doesn't matter. You need God's word for your situation. Because only God's word is powerful enough to deal with your situation. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word has power. Psalm 29, 4 and 5. The voice or the Word of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Let me tell you something about God's Word. God's Word can break through things you'll never break through. God's Word can break chains that you would never be able to break in your life. Your Word can't break them, but God's Word can break them. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul is describing for us what we need to wear in our battle against the enemy, in the, in the times of stress and pressure, when the enemy is coming our way, when the devil is on our backs and working against us to try to discourage us and beat us down and defeat us. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need something in your hand to fight back with. You don't fight back in your own strength, in your own word, in your own power. You fight back with the artillery that God has given you. And that's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You need to know God's word. What does God say about your problem today? There's a second thing I want to share with you today. You have to speak to your problems with faith and with conviction. A conviction is something that you're completely convinced of. It's a firmly held belief. It's something that you're certain of, something you believe down to the core of your being. That's what a conviction is. After Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible says that He spent 40 days with His disciples, giving them many proofs. This is in Acts chapter 1, that He was the Son of God. Many infallible proofs. He proved to them for 40 days before He goes back to heaven that He was the Son of God. You read about that in Acts chapter 1. Why did Jesus spend those 40 days? Because he wanted his disciples, there were 11 at this point, because Judas was not in the mix any longer. Why did Jesus spend 40 days with these 11 guys and the other disciples that were around him during this period of time? Why did he spend this this amount of time with them? Because he wanted them to have a conviction in their heart to know without a shadow of a doubt that he was who he said he was, that he was alive. Because these would be the men that would would begin the church. The early church would be based upon the apostleship of these men. And they needed to be completely convinced that Jesus was the living Savior. Because they were going to start preaching this message to the world. And ultimately turn the world upside down with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. And so after those 40 days, they were completely convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And was convinced that he was the living Savior. So much so that they not only preached the gospel throughout their lifetime and begun what we know to be the church, but they also, many of them gave their lives in martyrdom because they believed so deeply. They were convinced. They had a conviction that Jesus was who he said he was. Dear ones, today you need some convictions in your life. I'm telling you today, I am convinced. I'm convicted. You cannot convince me otherwise there is a God. He's a living and true God. Okay. You cannot change my mind on that. I'm convinced today, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm convinced that on that cross, when he was hanging on that cross of Calvary, that he took the sins that I have committed and he paid the price for my sins. I didn't deserve that. It's called grace. He took my sins and paid the debt for my sins on the cross of Calvary, and he did it for you too. And I'm fully convinced that Jesus paid everything necessary for me to have salvation. I'm also convinced that on the third morning, on that Easter morning. I'm thoroughly, absolutely convinced. You can't change my mind about it. I will stand firm until I die on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. He did not stay in the grave. He rose victoriously from the grave. I'm convinced of that. My faith is settled on that issue. I'm not going to change. I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is coming back again one day. Don't know when he's going to come back, but I know he's going to come back one day. He's going to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split from one side to the other. And Jesus will return. I'm totally convinced. You can't change my mind. You need some convictions in your life. You need something to stand for in your life. Because if you don't have something to stand for, you'll fall for anything. So you need something in your life that is solid and sure, and you know it's real and it's true, and your faith has settled something. I'm convinced of this very thing. That's what faith is all about. Notice what Jesus said. In Mark chapter 11, we read it a moment ago. Let me take you back to it again. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says through this mountain... Now he's talking about addressing your problems, but it starts with faith. Whoever says through this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Again, statements based on faith. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So Jesus says, have faith in God. Have some solid conviction about who God is and what God can do in your life. Now, what is faith? We better answer, answer that question because if we're to have faith, we better know what it is, right? So, so what is faith? And oftentimes people say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't have any faith. I don't have much faith. I want to grow my faith. Well, that's a good thing. I'm going to tell you today how you grow your faith. Are you ready? Here's how you grow your faith, by using the faith you have. Everybody's got some faith, but you've got to use it. It's like a muscle. It doesn't get any bigger until you use it. Let me take you to the scriptures that define faith for us. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as a fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Let me explain it to you this way. Faith is believing something before you see it. See anybody can see and believe. Faith is yeah, faith is believing before you see, based upon something that is authoritative. Listen to this in Joshua chapter 20, twenty-one, verse forty-five. The Lord promised to do many good things for Israel, and He kept His promise. How often? Every time, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, listen to this. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Let me stop there for a moment. God says, you know how that rain and snow come down from the heavens and hits the earth and causes the seeds to pop up eventually in the springtime and starts growing and producing fruit? He's now going to use this as an analogy in verse number 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. When God's word goes out, there's power in the word to produce everything the word promises. There's power in God's word to produce everything it promises. Whatever's promised in scripture, the power is there to produce it. That's why Luke chapter 1 verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. That's why when we talk about addressing our problems, we approach our problems with faith and confidence because we know what God said about our problem. Now we add our faith to what God said, and even before the victory comes, we claim victory before we've seen the victory. When David was facing the battle with Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want you to notice what happens here. David celebrates victory before he's even fought the battle. Listen to these words. Verse 43, he said to David, Goliath said, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So Goliath, this nine-foot-tall giant, is, is intimidating David and vexing him with his words and but none of this sh- shook David at all notice verse 45 David said to the Philistine notice what he said you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but i come against you in the name of the lord almighty the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied this day the lord will deliver you into my hands and i'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day i will give your car- give the carcasses of the philistine army to the birds and wild animals and and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword nor spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. Now, what I want you to notice is this. David said all of that before he threw one stone. See, before the battle was even fought, David was claiming the victory. Before any aspect of the battle was engaged upon, David already knew what the end result was going to be. Dear one, listen to me today. When you know God's word and what he says about your problem, if it's a financial problem, God is going to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If it's an issue with fear, God didn't give me the spirit of fear. We could go on and on. But when you know what God says about your problem, you lay claim to it by faith. and You begin to thank God for what he's going to do even before you see it. That's faith it is my title deed to what God is going to do in my life. So you bring your faith and your conviction to it. All these are, again, building on one another. Are you seeing what we're talking about today? But there's a third thing I want to give you today. Very quickly, we're going to wrap this up. This is so important. You speak to your problem with confident trust. Trust is what I would call a deeper kind of faith. Trust is complete reliance Complete reliance on the goodness, wisdom, character, timing, ways, and will of God. Well, God says, I want you to trust me and trust that I'm good and my wisdom is, is, is at work and trust that my timing is at work and trust that my ways are at work and my will is at work in your life. And once you claim the promises of God, then you move from the faith, you've got faith in God's Word, into the position of trust in God, Okay? this is important because trusting God when you're trusting God in regards to your problems you're not trying to tell God what to do and how to do it and when he should do it in faith and with a heart to obey I confidently declare I put my trust in God believing that he is good faithful able powerful and loving he cares about me concerns himself with the things that concern me, is responsible for me, and provides providential care over me, never wanting to hurt or harm me. He is completely and personally trustworthy. Do you believe that today? Okay. See, that's trust. Okay. I know what God says about my problem. I put my faith knowing that God never fails and now I'm not going to tell God how to do it or when to do it. I move over to this place of trust because I know He knows how to do it best. Trusting in God is a dimension of your extended faith. It is a deeper dimension of that faith that you have in God. Now, notice what the writer of Psalm says in Psalm 20, verse number 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust, what? In the name of the Lord our God. Listen to Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4. We're just about done. I waited patiently. David's talking about a time in his life of problems. He had some problems going on. And he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Here's what I want you to see with David. David said, I had this problem going on in my life, and I knew what God said about my problem, and I had my faith in God. I'm crying out to him based on my faith, and then I waited patiently for him. That's trust, okay? This is the key to understand when when you're when when you've got a promise about a problem and it's not fulfilled yet, okay? You ever had a problem before that you had a promise for? But, you, but the promise wasn't fulfilled yet, okay? So you've got the promise for the, for the problem, but it isn't fulfilled yet. You've got to wait patiently. By the way, you're going to always wait in life. Waiting is a part of life, okay? We have to wait on God. But you have, you'll either wait patiently or impatiently. It's your choice, okay? But David said, I waited patiently for God. And there came a day. Listen, there came a day when God showed up. I was waiting patiently for him. I knew what he said. I believed that he was going to do it. And I was waiting patiently for him to do it. And there came a day when God reached down and he pulled me up out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God and many will see and be glad based upon what God has done in my life. In other words, David said, there came a day when my, when my God showed up and fulfilled his promise and I now have a testimony of God's faithfulness in my life. Amen? I've got a testimony. that's what God wants to do. He wants to, you to understand what He says about your problem. Believe that God never fails. He will do what He said. And then move into this waiting patiently for Him to do what He said He's going to do. Trusting Him to accomplish it so that one day you'll have a testimony. And say, yes, God did what He said He was going to do. But always remember this. I'm going to conclude with this today. You cannot have a testimony without a test. I'm not sure I'd be saying hallelujah to that, okay? It's true, though. You can't have a testimony without a test, and you can't have a miracle without a mess. True? Oh, God, give me a miracle. Okay, here's a mess. Because God takes tests and turns them into testimonies, and God takes a mess and turns them into a miracle. Amen?
1: He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. It's spring and you're probably thinking to yourself I need
0: to lose one Three-star general Michael J. Flynn Head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells